0: This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Just a couple of verses from Luke chapter 15, reading from verse 4. I say unto you that likewise there shall be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Just a couple of weeks ago, we went to the polling stations to elect our MPs. Election posters had been put up for weeks, politicians had been canvassing around our doors for our votes. Make no mistake, for each politician uh, who ran, your vote was most coveted. They wanted your vote because your vote really mattered. You may have been just one of hundreds of thousands who voted on that day, who exercised your democratic right, but actually your single vote could have had the potential to change the political landscape of the whole nation. Oliver Cromwell won control of England in 1645 when Parliament voted 91 to 90 in his favor. And the ramifications for the whole nation was great. Charles I, King Charles I was beheaded on the basis of the judge's vote of 68 to 67. France changed from a monarchy to a republic in 1875 with a margin of just one vote. November the 8th, 1923, the then very, very tiny Nazi party met at at a Munich tavern. And they voted for Adolf Hitler to be their leader by just one single vote. Imagine if that one vote had went to somebody else. Perhaps the world would have been saved from millions of lives that were slaughtered. I say this today because you should never underestimate the power of just one. Just one. Just one person can make a tremendous difference. Just one person can change a lot. Just before the war, Winston Churchill... Nobody wanted him. Nobody wanted him in politics. He was finished. It was over. Until war broke out. And cometh the hour, cometh the man. And that one man changed the destiny of Britain. I read the Reader's Digest some time ago about a scuba diver. And he bought a house beside a golf club. Didn't play the game but he bought it in a beautiful area. And he couldn't help but notice there was a lake at the bottom of the garden which belonged to the golf club, and he couldn't help but notice how golfers regularly, accidentally put their ball into the lake. And he thought to himself, I wonder how many balls is at the bottom of that lake? So he went to the club's secretary. He says, look, I'm a scuba diver. I just live in a house close by. I see a lot of balls going into the lake. If I was to dive in there, and bring up those balls, how much would you give me for each ball? The secretary said, well, if they're good balls, I'll give you 50 cents. He said, okay. So early the next morning, before the course opened, he dived in. And he literally found hundreds of balls, hundreds and hundreds of them. And he fished them out. He washed them in his wife's washing machine. He sold them to the club secretary. And then he says to him, you've got lots of lakes here and water hazards. Could I do them too? Of course, he said. And he thought, I'm really on to something. And so he contacted the next golf club and the next one, the next one. In fact, after a while, he had the sole rights of all the golf clubs in America. And he had people working for him, had the buy industrial washing machines to wash the balls. And he retired in his 30s, a multi-millionaire and never played a game of golf in his life. (laughs) In fact, you can buy those lake balls, you can buy them in any golf club or any golf outlet today. One good idea can change your whole life. I cannot think of one philanthropic or charitable organization that didn't begin with with the dream and the passion of just one person. Just one person and suddenly you have a Bernardo's, or you have a Red Cross, or you have anyone you care to think about. Start up with one person. Never underestimate the power of just one. I can't think of any missionary society today that didn't begin with just one person. One person with a dream from God began just with a dream and started. And today, many of those missionary societies and the the person who started has long since gone to the glory, but the work still continues to this day. Just one man, Adam, became the federal head of the whole of humanity. Just one woman, Eve, became the mother of all living. Just one man, Noah, became the father of the Semitic tribes. Just one man, Abraham, became the father of the Jewish and Arab people that we know today in the Middle East. The three great world religions, Christianity and Judaism, Islam, all trace Abraham back in their spiritual lineage. Think of the great evangelistic movements in every generation. Apart from the Wesley brothers, John and Charles, who found it Methodist. Apart from them, and apart from Stephen and George Jeffreys, who began Pentecostalism in, in Ireland and England. But apart from that, just one person started great evangelistic outreaches all over the world. It's amazing what God can do with just one person if they will let him control their lives. I'm intrigued by how God is interested in just one thing, one individual thing. There are countless, billions upon billions of planets in the universe, but there's just one that God has given special attention to. And I know there's people out there who's trying to find life and everywhere they cannot find, and they'll never find life like our life because God placed it especially and particularly on this little planet of ours. There are countless birds that fly all over the world, but God sees the one sparrow that falls. There are seven billion people on the face of the earth. How do you quantify just one soul? And yet one soul is precious to God. Your soul is precious to God. Just one person is so infinitely precious to God. The Lord sees, the Lord knows, the Lord cares. He sees every sparrow that falls, He counts the hairs on every head. He knows the value of every single soul. And so, you today, as an individual, are important to God. He gave you your own special fingerprints, your own special retina eye design. Everything about you is unique because God made you that way. But the most important thing about you is your eternal soul. And that's what God cares about the most. That's what cost him the most that he gave his son for. God goes to great lengths for just one person. And think of that story in the Bible, how that, that man who was living in Gadara, and how that he was tormented and demented with dark forces, controlling his whole life. He would cry out night and day. He lived among the tombs, the Bible says. He would cut himself. He frightened the whole town. And sometimes they would come out in a whole grip and grab him and put chains around him. And he would break those chains like twigs. Such was the supernatural forces that was controlling him. And in his desperation, in his cries, Jesus heard that one man's cry. And he made a special journey right across the Sea of Galilee for that one individual. And he set him free, and he released him, and he gave him his life back. Just one person. Remember in Acts chapter 8, where Philip the evangelist is having a great crusade in Samaria. And the whole city is shaken. And there's mighty things happening. There's great healings taking place. Not only that, but many, many are coming to Christ, owning him as Savior. And so it's a great revival that's going on in the city of Samaria. And God comes to him and tells him to leave that and to go to Gaza. Gaza was 100 miles from Jerusalem. And God says, leave where you are in Samaria. Go to Gaza. And he went to Gaza. And when he got there, he didn't know why he was going there. He just went in obedience to the Lord. But when he got there, he saw an Ethiopian eunuch And this was a great man, a high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. He had come up to Jerusalem for the feast. So he was a proselyte. He had embraced Judaism. But here he is sitting in his chariot, and it so happens he's reading Isaiah chapter 53. And so Philip, the Lord says, go and join yourself to this man. And Philip says, what are you reading? Do you understand what you're reading? He says, no, actually, I don't. Who is this man talking about himself or some other? And then Philip opened the scriptures to him. Beginning right there, he began to preach Christ to him. And after a little while, as they moved on down, the Ethiopian eunuch said, look, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? And he says, do you really believe? Yes, I do. Okay. And he baptized him. All of that journey, left all of those people, left that great crusade, left that city, went over a hundred miles for just one person. God will bypass a thousand people just to get to you if he needs to, if he has to. I think of the story of Ishmael in the Bible and how that Abraham and Sarah, the they wanted a child, and God promised them a child. It took 25 years for that to happen, that child of promised to come. But whenever they get older and older and older, the panic set in, and Sarah says to Abraham, w- why don't you take my Egyptian maid, Hagar? Why don't you have a child with her? Because she thought, by this time, this is the only way this child of promise is going to come, because I'm way past childbearing age. It can't happen for me. And what a tragic mistake she made. And Ishmael was born from Hagar. And he was 86 years old when he became a father to Ishmael. He was 100 years old whenever little Isaac was born. And so Sarah then weaned him, which would take three or four years. And it tells us at that time when she had finished winning Isaac that Ishmael mocked little Isaac. And I remember Ishmael's about 17 at this time. And he's mocking a little boy about four. I, I haven't time to go into this this morning, but one represents the spirit, one represents the flesh. Paul talks about this, but I haven't time to go into that. But by this time, Sarah had enough. And she said to Abraham, cast out this bondwoman with the child. This is not her child of promise. And Abraham was displeased because it was his son nonetheless. And he loved Ishmael. But God says, listen to your wife. It's Mm -hmm. not your son of promise. Mm -hmm. But I've already promised that he would become a great nation. And so, Early the next morning, Abraham gives her some water, gives her some food, and sends her out. And she went out into the wilderness. And she got to the place where she thought, I don't want to see my son die. So she took him and set him under a tree. And she went a bull shot away. And it's interesting in Genesis 21. She cried as any mother would do. But here's the thing. It says in Genesis 21 that God heard the voice of the lad. He obviously heard her voice, but it says he heard the voice of the lad. I wonder what the lad, now he's about 17 at the time, I wonder what the lad was saying. I wonder what he was crying. I wonder what he was saying to God. Maybe he was reminding God, but what about the great promise that i have become a great nation? And here I am, I'm about to die. What about your promise, God, to my mother for me? And God heard the voice of the lad. And suddenly, he showed the mother where there was water. And there they drank. And then they would go on their way. The Arab people today are the peoples that came from Ishmael. And God kept his promise to them that they'd become a great nation. And they're great people today. <laughs> they cover almost all of the Middle East. You see, God would go out of his way for just one person Blind Bartimaeus. Many, many beggars along the road that day, many of them. But one got Jesus' attention. He shouted, You son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus says, Bring him. They told him to shut up. And Jesus says, bring him. Little Zacchaeus, the tax collector up the tree, hiding among the leaves. Jesus walked past, stops with all the multitude, and looks up and says, Zacchaeus, today I must abide at your house. Just one person. Little woman who came behind in the crowd, in the multitude, and touched the hem of Jesus' garment. And Jesus immediately says, who touched me? I felt virtue go out of me. And the disciple says, everybody's touching you. Look at the crowd. Why are you asking who touched me? He says, somebody touched me. Like no other person touched me. I felt virtue go out of me. And that little woman who was trying to slink away because she had an issue of blood to touch a rabbi would make him unclean ceremonially. She didn't want to fuss, but Jesus brought her to the fore. Letting us know that he sees that one person. That's the amazing thing about Jesus in a crowd. There would be multitudes, but he would see the one person. Remember the man who was laying at the pool of Bethesda? And there would be dozens, if not hundreds, of people would lie there. And Jesus picked the one man. Do you want to be made whole? And he completely and utterly healed him and set him free. You see, in God's kingdom, one person is so, so important. There are no zeros in God's kingdom. Look at your clock when you go home if it's got Roman numerals. Look at your watch if it's got Roman numerals. There's no zeros on it. And there's no zeros with God either. Every single person counts with him. And just like the shepherd in this parable, who left the 99 and went after the one lost sheep until he found it, put it over his shoulders, and brought it home and said, Rejoice with me, I found the one that was lost. Maybe you're a lost sheep today. Maybe you've wandered from the fold. Don't know how it happened. Sheep can be pretty foolish. It's not their intention to get lost. They just get lost. Maybe it wasn't your intention to wander from the fold, but maybe today you're a lost sheep. The Lord goes after the lost sheep. He loves that one that was lost. And he wants to bring you home. I think what makes the Bible so fascinating to read is... Apart from the wonderful doctrines of righteousness, redemption, of sanctification, etc., etc., apart from that which is wonderful, I think it's the it's the personal interaction that God has with people. It's the it's the people stories. What would the Christmas story be if we didn't really know about Mary and Joseph? or Elizabeth and Zacharias? What, what, what would the story be if we didn't really know about them? How, how we love to, to think about, about Mary and Martha and Lazarus, where Jesus would love to go to their home and just fellowship there and be totally comfortable. We love to read about that. We love to read about Onesimus. The runaway slave, or, or Joseph in Egypt, or Elisha, or Elijah, or Abraham, or Moses, or Peter, or Paul, or, or Deborah, or Esther, and, and there's just so many. In the New Testament, Jesus has at least 40 personal conversations with individuals. So, but Jesus' one size doesn't fit all. It's interesting if you read his conversations. Uh, how he deals with everybody as an individual he sees the crowd the multitude but he sees the individual as a congregation you're a congregation you're a crowd today but you're individuals and God sees and knows every single one of you Hebrews 11 is the great roll call of individual faith of God's people Romans 16 is Paul's roll call of individual co-laborers Paul mentions 35 different people at the end of the chapter people that helped him in his ministry and he never forgot a one of them remembered them all by name some of them are familiar like Timothy and Priscilla and Aquila but truth is that most of them we have no idea who they were but Paul knew who they were and God knows who they are And so the fact that they got their names in Holy Writ shows you how important people are to God. The best roll call of all is the Lamb's Book of Life. And many of you have your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. And on that day, when the books are opened, as it says in Revelation, will your name be in the Lamb's Book of Life? I hope that it will. Because your eternal destiny is at stake. In John 3, 16 and 17, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now Jesus is using a broad brush here He uses words like the world, whosoever. And by doing that, he lets us see the scale of God's love. It's for the whole world. It's for every person, every man, every woman, every color, every nationality, every tongue, every ethnic group, everyone. No exceptions. Remember when Jesus was crucified? How that Pilate put a sign on his cross, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. It was in three languages Roman, Greek, and Latin. The three great cultures of that day that embraced the then known world. And even though Pilate was putting it up there as an insult to the Jews, He didn't realize how prophetic that was, that Jesus was the Savior of the whole world. And there it was for all to see. But just in case that broad brush is too broad, and it's too difficult to get our heads around, to think of in personal terms, that's why Jesus went on to say in that next verse, He... Who believes in him is not condemned, but he that believes not is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Notice how he's gone from the world and the whosoever to the he. Now he's making it personal. And that's the thing about salvation it's personal. It's not private because we're supposed to share it, but it's personal. Nobody nobody can save us for themselves. Only Christ can save us for Him. It's personal. It's a personal salvation. That's why we say things. Do you know Christ as your personal Savior? Many of us have grown up in Christian homes, but that doesn't make us a Christian. It's a personal decision because he's a personal savior. In Hebrews 9, 27, it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. But then in Romans 14, Paul says, for we shall stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. See how personal it's becoming. The Lord sees every single one of us today. And He deals with every one of us on an individual basis. <laughs> Little child was dedicated this morning. Notice how we prayed that one day that child would grow up to know Christ as His Savior. But one day He will have a choice. All the parents can do, and all we can do as a church, is teach that child, point that child in the right direction. But one day, because God has no grandchildren, one day that child will have to make a choice to follow Christ or not. I had to make that choice. I was late on in life when I made that choice. I wish I had made it years earlier, but I didn't. But it was a personal choice. I had to come to Christ. Two thieves on the cross, one was saved that none may despair, but only one that none dare presume. It's the choice. And so today, the power of just one. You could be the one that could change your whole family. My wife was the first in her family to come to Christ. At one time, she was the only one But now her father and her mother are in the glory. Both her sisters love the Lord. But at the time, she was the only one. She had to make that choice. And so today, you could be the one in your family that could make the difference. You could be the one that could start the whole thing. You could be the one in your office, in your factory floor, in your business. You could be the one that can make the difference. The power of just one. Never underestimate your influence for others, for good or for ill. Make it for good. Become a believer in Christ. Give your life to Jesus. Most important thing you'll ever do very beginning we sang that old song happy days happy days what a happy day what a glad day whenever we find Christ let's pray Lord I thank you that your love extends to all of us today no exceptions. Lord, would you help us to respond to your love and mercy? Would you help us, Lord, to come to that decision for Christ? To live for him. Thank you for the difference that he has made in our lives. We're grateful, eternally thankful. And we bless you for that. We pray as we leave this building today, rejoicing over the dedication of this little precious child, that we will remember that in God's sight, each one of us are precious too. So precious that he sent his only son to die for us. So, Lord God, we give you thanks. We bless you for who you are and for all that you've done for us. We pray as we part today, your blessing will remain upon us. And thank you for this little family today, little Isaac. What a joy, what a blessing he is to Brian and Sarah and to the two families. Giving you thanks for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.